0: all right luke story here from LukeStory.com and you're about to listen to a special bonus rebroadcast episode of a recent guest appearance with me and another fine podcast host but before i get you going on that i want to quickly address a problem that we all face today it's called information overload from work stuff to keeping up with family and friends to social media invading every moment of our day it's hard to find even a little time to take care of ourselves. That's why I want to take a moment to invite you to sign up for the weekly Lifestylist email newsletter. Each episode of this show is packed with information that can help you live your best life from books to check out, top notch biohacking products, and show notes and select media from the guests you love. Now, my job is to make your life easier, not add more to your plate. So when you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get all those details in one easy place that you can explore at your convenience each and every Tuesday morning. To make it happen, just hit up lukestory.com slash newsletter, enter your name and email, and you are good to go. And included in the weekly emails is, of course, links to the audio, video, show notes, and written transcripts. So again, visit lukestory.com slash newsletter to sign up for the weekly podcast email blast today.
1: It is a very special day today because we have Luke Story here today, who is first a dear friend, but he's also... A master of many things. He's a wellness expert, spiritual guide, and he has the Lifestyleist podcast, which is an incredible podcast for anybody that's interested in learning more about anything in wellness whatsoever, <laughs> whether you're a mother and you want to know more about pregnancy or you want to know about the technology out there. A clean water, I mean, anything across bras. the board. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's what, the bra thing. EMF proof Yeah, exactly.
0: All <laughs> of or that. Or just don't wear bras. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my preference. So, yes.
1: Um, anyways, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so excited. Yeah, thanks I for love, being here.
0: Yeah, I love seeing you too. And anytime I walk out onto this land, my nervous system just relaxes mm. every time. It's so nice. So mm. I'm going to remember the feeling I had when I walked from the car to the bathroom. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just remember I can still be just as relaxed, even though I'm technically I'm supposed to be doing something
2: it's a different kind of relief. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's fun to be here. And we had a great chat the other day, Kim, on my podcast. So I feel like this is a continuation of that.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's my turn. So we talked for two and a half wow, hours awesome. on Luke's podcast. He definitely, I was telling Peggy earlier today, I was like, Luke somehow got me to talk about things I've never talked about in so much depth. And it was so much fun the entire time. And I could have done it for 10 hours. So now That's I awesome. want to know about you. <laughs>
0: That's great. Yeah. I like to have the opportunity to because it, over the years I've learned having a podcast um, how important it is to have restraint and and not talk about yourself too much when you invite a guest on. Just mm. challenging sometimes because my show is not like an interview, Q&A show. Yeah. I find that to be kind of boring. I like it to be more conversational and organic, but um, that does require... A tad more mindfulness to give the Mm -hmm. person who's the guest space.
1: Well, I love talking, so it was great. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Me too. Okay, but now it's your turn.
0: Right on. I'm really
1: yeah. I know. I know a little bit about your growing up, but can you share with us a a bit about your story? Yeah, story. Story story of Luke
0: story. Yeah. How can I put it in a uh, a brief time capsule? Well, I would say, you know, the part of my story that informs what I do in the world now is coming from two very well-meaning parents who divorced when I was quite young and came from a long lineage on both sides of a lot of um, alcoholism and trauma and things of this nature, and so I was kind of born into that level of dysfunction. And I love my parents and I have a great relationship with both of them now, but they each had their challenges. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, so it was kind of the broken home scenario and having my parents go through their own individual challenges. And, um, I lived uh, mostly with my mom in Northern California in Sonoma County, which, I was born in 1970, so I grew up there in the 70s and early 80s, and uh, experienced uh, quite a bit of trauma as a kid, and was lucky enough to be situated somewhere where there were a lot of drugs present. It was a heavy-duty drug culture. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the um, hippies that had fled the hate in the 60s, the end of the 60s, kind of migrated up there, and there were a lot of you know hells angels and yeah. pot growing mm-hmm. ex hippies and things like that so there were there was a lot of drugs around and um
2: so why did you say lucky i'm curious
0: well i was lucky because that that getting into drugs which i did at a really young age was the only opportunity i had to cope with the experiences mm-hmm. that were going on so who knows? I mean, maybe in another <laughs> timeline, you know, there would have been some other kind of support. But drugs were great for me um, in the sense that they enabled me to live in my body and be able mm. to cope and contextualize a lot of the confusion and pain that I experienced as a kid. Oh, wow. so, um, so I had a lot of um, behavioral problems and, you know, I was kicked out of school the first time when for in first grade. And just, <laughs> I was talking to my mom actually wow. the other oh, day. We had a really... Had like a four hour conversation. I was like, All right, give me the deal. What, you know, what was I like? And she said, well, you were always really sweet, but it was just like non-stop problems, you know, and that's kind of wow. what I remember. So, you know, when I say I'm kind of joking when I say I'm grateful to be in an environment that was rife with drugs, um, because I think in a way for a time they served my self-preservation.
2: I'm curious, like which ones did what to you? Because I, I have the exact opposite experience. I don't have any experience with drugs. So I'm like, yeah. oh, I wonder like which ones yeah. did what for you back and I'm, then. And
0: I'm not recommending. It's no, just, no, no. It's you just know, like you, it's part of your story. You though. have, in my case, a kid with a lot of unresolved trauma, sexual yeah. abuse, and all this mm. kind of stuff. And so um, I was just deeply wounded and needed to check out of that experience. And so mm. the first one mm. for me was, um, was cannabis which I think when I was a kid, we called it weed. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what they call it yeah. these days. And there was a lot of that around. So, you know, I started smoking weed and um, and drinking. And then when I was uh, an early teens, started doing coke and pills and things like that. Wow. And I would say, like, smoking weed was good medicine. The other drugs that I got into had, you know, immediate and pretty drastic consequences. Wow. But... Smoking weed when I was a kid was like, it was like a weighted blanket, you know. It would would enable me to just um, go into my own world and just disassociate, you know, at will. Yeah, Um, I was already disassociated, but that that was like another level of disassociation that, you know, that I needed. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. being high all the time was not conducive to being successful in school or anything else that I attempted to do so it definitely had its consequences um so yeah I, you know that was kind of my entry into the world and um just you know a lot of a lot of behavioral problems and problems with the police and getting involved in crime and just all sorts of crazy mm-hmm. stuff um, to the point that i got sent away when i was 14 to a boarding school in idaho and it was um now there's an industry around it or i guess this was the emergence of the industry, known as the troubled teen industry. Mm. And so I got sent to this boarding school in a Northern Idaho that was like a kind of a wilderness academy. Actually, this room that we're in looks very much <laughs> like the campus, you know, oh my goodness. Uh, wow. not as, you know, it's, there's no bad uh, association there, but it was, uh, it was very cult-like and um, none of the teachers were accredited and um, wow. none of the counselors were accredited it was a lot of sort of early 80s pop psychology and experiential therapy and wilderness yeah. exposure and all sorts of primal scream therapy and all sorts of really weird things and there were a lot of inappropriate um, cult-like dynamics there in that culture but it did yeah. it did serve the purpose of getting me sober and kind of um, from that point on I never Well, I did a lot of illegal things, but I didn't do illegal things that harmed other people, you know, Mm. after that. So Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. reformed for all intents and purposes, but that school lacked um, an understanding of the nature of addiction and alcoholism. So it was approaching addiction. And when I got sent there at 14, I was in full fledged addiction already, but it approached it more as. Uh, a moral shortcoming than Mm. it did a disease so it was assumed that you're here in this school for two years and you've behaved yourself and haven't done any drugs so when you get out just be a good kid and go to school and Mm. do the right thing Uh, but i didn't understand what i understand now which is this um, idea of the phenomenon of craving so I knew that like morally I wasn't supposed to do drugs, but I didn't know that if I just touched drugs once that I would be instantly addicted again, which is what happened. Wow. So from 16 to 26, when I got sober, um, was a wild ride of really hardcore addiction. Yeah. I moved to Hollywood when I was 19 and I think within the first two weeks started doing heroin and Oh, shortly shit. after smoking crack and dang you know I was playing in bands and I'm not gonna lie I mean it was it was fun for a minute there were yeah. there were fun times you know just yeah having the freedom to just act with reckless abandon and yeah um being the kind of seedy underbelly of Hollywood in the ner- early 90s and just be able to run wild so there were there were fun times but it got um increasingly dark and desperate and demoralizing in so many ways. So, um, yeah, when I was 26, I called my mom and asked her to find me a rehab and I checked in and the rest is history.
1: We're going to take a little pause for a message from our sponsor and one of our favorite supplement companies, Global Healing.
0: What we're doing at Global Healing Institute is we're taking 25 years of research and we're putting it into a simple approach to teach people how they can heal themselves, which is really five steps. First, educate the client. Detoxify the gut, detoxify the liver, get rid of all the parasites in the body, and get rid of all the chemicals and heavy metals. It is absolutely the simplest, most effective way to transform your health, because once you get rid of all of that toxicity in your system, your self-healing mechanism reactivates again, and then your body heals itself.
2: Wow, just amazing.
0: Time. Yeah, I was, I was really lucky. I think um, when I was eight years old or so, my mom took me to an ashram in Oakland that was um, centered around an Indian mystic named Muktananda, Baba Muktananda. And uh, that experience had an impact on me that has taken me really decades to unpack. I think that spending that one day there um, in a really high consciousness field is kind of how I would contextualize it now, planted a seed in me so that even as I grew into adulthood and became terribly addicted and had all this unresolved trauma, um, (laughs) I had been exposed to some level of truth and spirituality and love, right? And it, it planted some... Seed in me, so even in the years when I was living in Hollywood and committing slow suicide, um, there was some part of me that knew there was another way, and there was another signpost along the way, and that was um, some of my family had been going to India and uh, chasing around a guru there, and my cousin brought me back this book called "I Am That" by Nisargadatta Maharaj. incredibly difficult name to pronounce. And I would try to, and this is when I'm in the throes of drug addiction. And I don't know, there was something about that book. It's this big, thick book. I still have the same copy of it. And I couldn't read it. It was way too deep. It's essentially a really in-depth teaching of non-duality, which I would say is the basis of my whole life now. But at the time, uh, I could only read the back cover. Hmm. I just I couldn't get into the interior of the book because it was just too far advanced. But there was some part of me, perhaps that same part when I was eight years old, that knew that this man had something special, this mystic that I had um, shared space with. And so I would read the back cover of the book and I could kind of get that. Wow. And it was just something to the effect. I mean, I should have it memorized by now, but something to the effect that, um, you know, say the building we're in, you would say this space is here. And if the building wasn't here what would the space be that kind of thing just some sort of esoteric Mm -hmm. thought right um but i would read that and i just knew that um the way i was living was antithetical to life and i there was so much shame around the way i was living Mm -hmm. that it's it got to the point where um no matter the quantity or combination of drugs i ingested i couldn't put that awareness to sleep. Mm. You know, it's like, I'm Mm -hmm. not supposed to be doing this. Um, So, so then, so I had the eight years old, you know, the exposure at this ashram. And then I had that book. I had family members going to India, coming back with these miraculous stories that were just, just supernatural stories of cities and things like that being Mm. performed by these mystics Mm. and gurus and stuff. And I knew they weren't lying and I knew that they weren't crazy. So that gave me a clue that there was something beyond this realm that might be able to help me. I still often get so emotional, you know, because I have so much gratitude. That I was, that I received so much grace. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So I had that, those things going on, that awareness, and my life was just like spinning so wildly out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize this part, this is a key part of the story, and I didn't identify this as being a pinnacle until I was about 22 years sober. And started working with ayahuasca and i realized that a few months before i got sober <laughs> i ate a bunch of mushrooms which i did all the time i sold mushrooms that was one of my my vocations at the time so i had a lot of mushrooms around all the time i would just take them indiscriminately with no intentionality whatsoever trying to escape you know and anyone that has worked with psychedelics, um, going inward, doing healing work, knows that psychedelics are a horrible way to escape. <laughs> You're going to be faced with yourself. And on this particular night, I took a bunch of mushrooms and uh, and had basically like a nervous breakdown, like a really bad, bad trip. Wow. And uh, and that's when I realized that um, I needed to get sober and then forgot about it. And then a few months later, found myself in rehab. And, and to your point, yeah, one time was enough, I think, because... Because those seeds had been planted and I, I don't know, I just, I had an understanding that the only way out of that was spirituality. And then I went to rehab and the rehab was based on the 12 steps and the whole 12 steps are based on spirituality being the solution to your problem, you know. And so everything just clicked and made sense to me. So there was no part of me um, that resisted that process. I was so humbled by the depth of my failure that I was very teachable. You see a lot of people get into recovery and I think through no fault of their own, the shell of their ego, their armor is just, it's still intact and they're not teachable and you can't penetrate their, their will, right? But I had no will left. And so I was open to, um, to receive the teachings that I, that I got in that rehab. And not to say that I didn't struggle after that, because I definitely <laughs> did for a long time. But I didn't struggle with the idea of sobriety. Like I knew yeah. the first day I woke up in there that, that, that this is it. Yeah. Wow. And I knew that, and I'll end the, that portion of the story here, but I knew that um, something miraculous had happened the morning I woke up the first day in rehab and I was terrified cause I hadn't breathed a sober breath in at least 10 years. I mean, never one day it was uh, even close to sober. So I woke up kind of looked around. I was like, Oh fuck. I checked myself into rehab. I have no drugs. There's no <laughs> drugs anywhere. We're way out in the middle of nowhere. I couldn't even walk to a liquor store. I wouldn't know where to go, how to get there. I'm, I'm here. Like I'm wow. in this shit. And so I remember going to the nurse and, um, trying to manipulate them into giving me some medication. And they gave me a physical and determined that I was not, uh, I was not in need of medication. Wow. Because <laughs> I, had, I had quit heroin a week before I went in there. I was doing all kinds of other stuff. So I was, I was going through alcohol DTs and coming off benzos and other opiates and all kinds of stuff. But I wasn't technically addicted to heroin uh, in that moment and they could assess that so they wouldn't give me any Dilaudid or anything that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And the nurse told me, I was like, "Well, what do I do? Because I can't." I'm like, "This is beyond my capacity right now." And she said, "Well, you need to go to your room and pray." Wow. It's hilarious.
2: Whoa! Wow!
0: And that was that was all they gave me.
1: Hmm. Cody. Yeah, and I didn't, right. I didn't. I didn't grow up,
0: you know. Despite those. Yeah. Those you know, intermittent exposure that I had to spirituality. I mean, I was not a Mm -hmm. spiritual person. I didn't have any religious experience or upbringing. I had no belief system of any kind. So I didn't even know how to pray. I was (laughs) going to
2: say, I mean, what went through your (laughs) mind? Were you thinking like, is there a God? How do I talk to him? What, what does this mean? Like, I'm curious to what you thought. I just
0: had a glimmer of hope that there might be something there. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that I've believed or that I had faith, but left with no other options yeah. my mind opened to that possibility so I, I went back to my room and um and i did that i thought <laughs> probably just what i saw in the movies like i think you get on your knees and <laughs> you put your hands like this and i just literally just did an enactment of what i thought prayer looked mm. and sounded like but it was very sincere yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um it was just i just want to be free
2: did you get an answer when you, when you pray, well, the answer, yeah, I in, did. I the, you
0: know, and the answer, um, <laughs> the answer materialized in a really profound way at the time. And that was, um, you know, I'm going back to my room doing this praying. And then when I went to kind of unpack my stuff, I found a 10 milligram Valium in my bag, because I always had all kinds of drugs on me, of course. And my initial reaction to finding that was to immediately go tell the staff. And I wow. saw myself kind of, wow. from the witness perspective, watching myself turn in the one little granule of relief that I had found. If I would have taken that volume, it probably would have helped. I mean, in 10 milligrams wasn't very much to me at the time. I would eat those things like Pez. Um, so I wouldn't have gotten high, but it might have calmed my nerves a little bit. Yeah. And I forget if I went and gave it to the nurse or if I just flushed it down the toilet. But the point is I did not need it Yeah. and I got rid of it, you know. And I realized that I had done that. And that's, that was a huge turning point for me because on my own volition or by the volition of some power greater than myself, it was the first time I had exerted any control over my behavior in terms of doing or not doing drugs. Because no matter how hard I tried for years before that, and I tried many times to quit doing drugs, um, they were always <laughs> immediately unsuccessful Wow. And so, yeah, so that's, so that's what happened. And then that was, that was it. That was it. One rehab. And then I really committed myself to, um, you know, to my recovery program and then floundered for many years with all, all sorts of other issues. as is common in early recovery, but at least, you know, I got the sobriety part of it that time. Oh, wow.
1: The, <laughs> I can imagine you witnessing yourself and what that centered part of you is just. Magic, it's almost like yes, the prayers worked, they just moved right through you, right?
0: Yeah, in a Mm -hmm. physical
1: way, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. And also, really, and I mean, this is kind of the mystery that's been unfolding ever since is um, not only did I not take that little morsel of uh relief that I found, um, but the driving obsession to drink and use from that day on was gone and has never come back.
2: Wow. I've
0: never once ever, ever had the thought that, oh, maybe I should have a drink or I need a drink or I want a drink or I should do drugs. And, and there's been times that, um, I mean, the past four or five years, however long it's been, has been a totally different journey. And that's another part of the conversation when it comes to working with plant medicines and psychedelics and whatnot in recovery, which is a beautifully elegant journey in and of itself but um yeah from that moment on i was just rendered sober and the cool thing about that is because i had tried so many times on my own i knew that it wasn't me doing it Mm. and so there's this great mysterious inquiry well if i'm not doing this say i have 28 days or 40 days or six months or two years sober what is doing this because i'm not Mm -hmm. I'm showing up and doing as I'm told, right? I'm going through the motions of learning about the principles of recovery and surrounding myself with sober people and, you know, disassociating from my old friends and haunts and all of that. But really, like, all I did was just change a little bit of my behavior. But what happened in my psyche and in my physical makeup was something that just can't be explained. It's, it's ineffable. Something happened to me and for me yeah and and somehow I got that you know so yeah. then it was like well what if I could um, <laughs> it's just so miraculous yeah the whole yeah. thing yeah and and one thing that you know I I, I, I often get really emotional when I talk about this stuff because it's just, I'm just in awe still because I have such a visceral, immediate, tangible memory of what it was like to be in the bondage of addiction and and all of the suffering that that brings. It's just, it's a horrible, horrible way to live. It's so painful, and um, and it it's so shameful. And the tragedy of it is that when you continue to use, and you know you're an addict, there's a really vicious cycle of the shame that that causes. <laughs> And that the way that you try to overcome the shame is by doing more of the thing that caused the shame in the first Mm, place, mm. right? And that pit that you dig into that shame gets deeper and deeper and deeper to where you hit a point where that's all it is. And there's actually no reprieve from the feeling of shame. There's just a compounding and a building upon that shame until you don't want to be around anymore. You know, so when I think about where I came from and what life was like, it's um, it's so it's so strange because it's it's like it's a different person's life. It's another lifetime. It was eons ago. Yet at the same time, in my somatic experience of my body, it's like I could be right here cutting up some drugs like that fast. Yeah, like I know. I know it so well because it was my whole life, you know, so it's, it's really close and it's really far at the same time. And the closeness is the real gift because that's one, one thing that's always kept me on the straight and narrow is just knowing there's just no telling what would happen. You know, I, th- I think after the work I've done in the past few years, mm-hmm. this is the truth. There is a small possibility that I could like drink a beer and not drink more. It's possible. Do I want to? No. Do I care to find out? No. But the fact is, if I'm wrong, where I end up?
2: Mm-mm.
0: Yeah. Is a dark place.
2: Yeah. It's the hence the term the dark night of the soul. <sighs> right. Mm. It's just brutal.
0: It's so hardcore. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah, that's, that, that's what happened. And um, this whole time since, you know, 26 years, almost 27 years now, it's just, I think what I was going to say before is the, the curiosity and the intrigue of if, <laughs> if this benevolent, omniscient power had the capacity to do that for me in that area of my life. What if it could do that in every area of my life or anything with which I struggle, you know, and that's what keeps it interesting. You know, it's like, where am I, where am I not allowing divinity in? Yeah.
2: So is that, did you start to ask yourself those types of questions then that allowed you to open up to your, a successful story? Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah because you know my life became completely centered on spirituality. Hmm. You know everything
2: at twenty six. Yeah, that's yeah, so. that's fantastic. Yeah, to so be that young and that hungry.
0: I mean, I knew that that's what had helped me. Yeah, and um, but I still I still had a lot of problems. You know, I had a lot of emotional problems and other addictions that surfaced over the years and codependency and all kinds of things. So I wouldn't say that I was a happy camper. (laughs) I mean, I was, I was elated that I had become sober and there's a a certain, you know, period of, um, I think they call it the, yeah, in recovery, they call it the pink cloud. You know, you're just like on top of the world for the first six months because you can't believe that you're sober. It's such Mm -hmm. a gift. And your life of course improves in so many Uh, measurable ways, but um, the underlying trauma and all of the manifestations of that trauma that had never been addressed um, was still present. And so in that, there was always a seeking for more spirituality. And so I endeavored to go down every possible path I could to find um, ways to integrate that more into my life. I mean, apart from religion, I don't think i ever Yeah, I've never really got into religion in a classical sense, but, you know, I started going to India and practicing all kinds of different meditations and getting into yoga and anything I could do to try to have more of that in Uh, my life, you know.
2: Did you spend a lot of time in India?
0: I went there in, I think, 2004 for about a month. I went um, on a (laughs) 21-day silent retreat, which was uh, at the time, like the state of my mind, that was, that was quite an experience because there was a lot of noise inside. Yeah. And um, being quiet for that long brought a lot of that to the surface. It was interesting, yeah. That ha- from yeah. the outside
2: looking in, that had to be really interesting. Like to see what people go through i I could never do that. I mean, I just wouldn't put myself in a situation like that. yeah, I think I'd have a mental breakdown honestly it was
0: wild. you know what what I remember about it? Well, there were a couple of teachings from that um one was that when I removed all and you couldn't have any books or I mean this is right. like. Free iPhone, but you couldn't have any entertainment or any kind of distractions, mm-hmm. right? Although I did cheat, I had a little DVD player. And I, uh-huh. A couple of times, I watched a couple of movies because I was just going out of my fucking mind. Yeah. But what it brought up was, I considered myself—I think by that time—a uh, pretty kind and compassionate person, and generally had you know kind thoughts for other people and things like that, and. I remember just experiencing such judgment and hatred toward the other participants there. I remember being in the food line and I would just look at someone and just rip them apart in my mind and they had done nothing. You know, it's just all of, all of that unhealed um, stuff in me Mm -hmm. that I think had still been repressed even through spirituality, right? Of like, Oh, I'm a good person now and I'm compassionate and, I'm practicing kindness and mindfulness, and I meditate. And you know, left to my own devices, I think without anything to distract myself from what was really underneath that, yeah, it brought it brought a lot of um, a lot of shadow up to the surface. And I also had a really beautiful experience in that trip in um, a lesson in building a spiritual ego. So I started to think of myself as special and started to take on the accoutrement and, and the clothing and the gestures and the languaging of a spiritual person who had been to India. And so I go there with the intention of actually dis, you know, um, uh, lessening the impact of ego in my life and to become more spiritual, right? Less ego equals more spiritual. So I go there with that intention, but then because I'm being initiated into these teachings and things like that, I come home wearing the beads and, you know, the Indian clothing, and I'm doing namaste to everyone. And uh, I had a mentor at the time who was... Uh, he, he did not play. A very serious, uh, hardcore teacher, the kind I really needed because I was so um, squirrely and manipulative. So he was, he was a real tough guy, probably too much, though, so in hindsight. But I came back, and he basically disowned me as a as a mentee and was just like you're full of shit mm. you, this is all ego and i'm like this is all ego but i'm spiritual i'm doing namaste i got the beads like this is the deal and he was just not having it so it's a beautiful lesson in how you know it's kind of like the the same phenomenon of the fallen guru right where mm. you know this alter personality or collection of personalities that we refer to as mm. ego seeks identity so it will glom onto anything and build itself onto that even if that happens to be being spiritual being a spiritual person so i came back and was very humbled and had to come back to earth and start dressing like my normal self and stop with the namaste and <laughs> just be chill yeah you know it was a really it's a really good lesson i mean even you know doing a podcast like this if i wasn't aware of that then i could find myself wanting to impress you two or someone listening and get caught up in the ego game of carrying wisdom or being a teacher or being yeah. enlightened or any of those kind of things so that trip carried a lot of a lot of powerful lessons
2: yeah and you were young to get that those lessons yeah. cuz a lot of a lot of people don't get that until you know they're 40 50 60 but to have that in your early 20s that that level of awareness of that phoniness I call it a phoniness. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's 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 a, it, it's coming purely from your desire to to really want to embody that, and so we grab those things right to make us feel like we're one step closer. But you know, to your point, somebody who's really on that path just sees it as all bullshit. And um, yeah. and but it is you know, it's a stepping stone to you know to really being able to I think identify those parts of yourself that are wanting change. I struggle with that. I, when I, I struggle with the judgment when I see somebody who goes all in like that and they just, they just showed up and they go all in (laughs) (sighs) and I I have to really like work on my non-judgment, right. And just recognize they are really, really desirous of that connection. And, um, there's, there's somebody I know that's really, they're studying with Mayan, um, culture and have, have. Bought all in, right? The name change, the the everything, and um and it was fascinating because I got I really got dressed down by spirit and actually apologized to this person because what I what because I was I was feeling the massive disconnect, right? So if you can imagine um, a little short Jewish guy, big fro, right, and bright eyes, so excited. And I was really judging the the exterior of what was happening. And this beautiful past life came through about, because he was like, why am I in this Jewish body with his little Jewish voice wanting to study Mayan culture, right? It was such a disconnect. And he asked me that question. And I got to see his past life where he abused power. And because he abused power, put him in this little... Jewish body. So he'd have humility. And I got to see his power. I was like, holy shit. Like it really helped me see my judgment around his package of who we looked as a human and equated that to being powerful, not powerful or connected, not connected. And it was really like, I really had to apologize to him and say, "Wow, you know, I, I bought into, I bought into your story and i'm sorry and i'll never do that again and it was a real and this was recent it was such a powerful lesson for me in being able to to witness somebody on their path and doing the best they can and allowing them to to show up for themselves without having other people around going what are you doing you know and so it was it, it was both he got the lesson i got the lesson we both got it in different ways but to have a you know to have a spiritual counterpart like that to be able to call you out and at the same time maybe didn't you know maybe that was some of his stuff too from <laughs> there was, somebody who's been there there yeah. was a, yeah. there was
0: a lot going yeah. on there yeah, you know, but exactly. in the in the essence the, the truth was delivered and I think yeah. I think what a lot of that is in my experience is just before I really knew who I was you know, before I really knew myself, I was much more susceptible to taking on other identities, you know, just Mm -hmm. trying on other identities. And so when I see people go through that, I think that they're just more of a victim of a lack of identity, right? Mm -hmm. And so the ego gloms on to some sort of label or title or qualification, Mm -hmm. clothes, you know. and, And I've even experienced... I don't know that I've fallen for it or taken the bait over the past few years, but there have been times where I'm like, well, like you were asking me, you know, kind of my bio, like, what do I even call myself or what I do? I don't really know. And so there's been times where I'm grasping for, well, I need to be called to something. It's like, I'm just me. (laughs) I don't container. yeah, Yeah. Some people call me like a biohacker guy. I'm like, ew, gross. Like I have so much more depth than that. But do I go around calling myself? Like I'm a spiritual teacher. That doesn't really fit. Yeah. Although both of those things are true to some extent, you know. But yeah. I think I'm just settling in myself more into just celebrating my my uniqueness and the way I approach mm. life and the way I do my thing and how I serve, you know. And so um, I think you're right that most people have earnest intentions when they take on these other identities. But yeah. it's it's a trap that is really important to be aware of, I think, right. It's like, yeah. okay, say say at a certain level of your spiritual development, you realize that the incarnation that you're embodied in now, Joe Smith, and the name Joe Smith, and your identity is not really who you are, right? right? Mm-hmm. So you discard that and you take on a spiritual name. I'm Master Baba Gubuji now.
2: Yes, yes.
0: Which may be true, but it can also be yet another false identity, you know? Like I yeah. always tripped on Ram Das. I was like, he kept the name Ram Das, even though he knew that you know, his Richard Alpert identity wasn't the real him. Then he took on another identity that was also not the real him. Yeah. But he just kind of rolled with it and and made beautiful art with the yeah. whole process. You know, I'm not, well, I'm not denigrating not, his journey. No, it's no. just, you see that happen a lot with spiritual names, like in the Kundalini Yoga community, right? <laughs> I got my spiritual name. I never used it because it was just like, I'm just me. I know I'm yeah. not really Luke Story. I'm something beyond that. But I'm just going to stick with the identity yeah. that my parents gave me. And just roll with that and find a way to appreciate the uniqueness and resist the temptation to want to be special.
2: Mm. Well, I, I, you know, there's, okay. So there's the specialness and there's also just the, the playfulness, right? Like just, like just playing as an opportunity to express yourself in a way that's uncomfortable, that maybe gives you the freedom to like, I'm not normally like this, but I'm gonna dress up like this because it's it's stretching my ego, it's stretching me. So there's there's two different ways, right? Cause there, yeah. there are some people who just step in it and they're all in because like, look at me, I'm embodied this, I'm like your story, right? And then the other people that do it because it's uncomfortable and um, and it's forcing them to bring that part of themselves forward so it's an interesting, you know, uh, which which yeah. way are you? That's a great point. You know, I think which I think, way are you playing with
0: it? I think right? my wife Allison has been more of the latter, you know, of yeah. identifying certain gifts within herself and uh, uh, a sub identity, right, of like yeah. who her spirit really is, mm-hmm. and it's required much courage of her to walk forward with that and just own that. Oh yeah. Despite any criticism or judgment that might come in and just like, I don't know, this is my path. I'm called to this, to shamanism, say for example. And I think that's harder. You know? It's a thousand
2: percent <laughs> it's harder. I, I, I have, give all the
1: props to her. Yeah. I have so many thoughts on this. Okay. I'm just itching to share. Do it. Um, so I studied Kabbalah and dreams. And then I moved on to this and I moved on to that. And at some point Christianity, and I think it's important that we don't dismiss the sacredness of a process and a journey and picking up pieces of ourselves that are there. Right. So for example, I'm an all in person, right? When I studied Kabbalah, I was there six days a week, six days a week. And the, the, there's a Japanese form of mastery. There's three steps, right? you go all in, you learn all the way, then you completely reject. And then whatever sticks to you Mm. is your own personal mastery. So when you were telling me the story of you in India and you came back, what I saw and what I felt was, you know, your teacher, maybe with his best of intentions and knowing you is like recalibrating you a little bit. But what I felt was somebody that just had an experience that brought some level of Zen, some level of peace, and didn't, you know, you figure out how to integrate it. There's something about when you start putting on natural fabrics and when you start putting on sacred objects like beads, or you start enveloping yourself in a certain culture, there can be like a shock reintegrating. And it's like you need to bring the namaste mm-hmm. back with you. You need to see how it feels in your skin, in your new environment, in your new culture. And I think it's your inner journey to see if that fits. Like maybe you're connecting to a past life uh in an ashram yeah, where totally. you know yeah. and maybe totally. that's True. that's yeah maybe that's yeah. like a really big part of who you are and i don't think it's anybody else's thing to say like you're full of it or not i think it's a very tender thing when we're in a state of mm-hmm. discovery like i grew up on a street called misery point road okay on the end of my street
0: that's a great name for a movie right
1: for a murder mystery <laughs> yeah. maybe this is my memoir <laughs> Natives killed themselves on the cliff on our street because they didn't want to, you know, when Mm. we call it white men come and uh, they brought viruses and things, they didn't want it to infiltrate their tribe, right? Now, I am, I, if you look at my 23andMe, I'm so many things, right? So who do I identify as, Right. This can come as a very confusing thing. And I grew up near a naval base where all my friends had culture, you know, my Filipino friends ate very specific food, pancit, chicken adobo, puto, like all these things. My Mexican friends had a very specific way of life. And, you know, and, and um, this is how I grew up. And so trying to find who I am has been such a journey. And the mm. more I get into it, the more I feel so many different parts of myself. But I like to throw myself in all the way, all the way. Like, you know, we you know we did Shabbat. We were white. Yeah. You know, we were white. And then, you know, we connected and had the prayer shawls and read the Torah and did all these things. We did all the things. We did all the things. We went to... The Sadakim in Israel and prayed with the graves and all the things. And there's so much magic in my heart through that process. That's where I met James. And I would integrate it into my life. And, you know, I'd have Jewish friends say, like, Oh my gosh, you're more Jewish than me. And it's not even about that. But it was like, you know, you Shab- turn
2: off the light for us. <laughs>
1: yes, turn off the light for us. Shabbat Shalom, hug Sameach, you know, all yeah. the things. Yeah. I said it. It felt really good. I still love saying those things sometimes. But I think, like, uh, somebody's self journey, it's just, it, we can't possibly understand the complexities of lifetimes yeah. or of uh, trying to find oneself. And I have so much reverence for somebody that's willing to just throw themselves full into something and seeing what lands you know, mm-hmm. I, I just, I like, I'm on the other end of where I just think it's the most beautiful process, whether yeah. it's yeah. them or not. Cause they're going to like, clearly the thing isn't them, isn't going to stick. It's not going to stick. So they're trying to see throwing mm-hmm. darts at the wall and, and, and seeing what sticks.
0: Mm-hmm. 100%. That's, yeah. yeah. That's a beautiful perspective. And as you explain that, that's exactly been my experience. You know, it's a great Yeah. Inter- it's it's like in my inner relationship with my reality, everything is based on consciousness and the way I see the world and my place in it is completely non dual, <laughs> you know, so it's yeah. like, but I don't walk around still wearing the beads and the things. Right. But everything that I believe is really rooted in Vedic principles, not just mm, not that yeah. the Vedic principles own that genre but that's the way that nature is described to me that makes the most sense Mm. and i've also had um one very clear experience of past lives um that were all in india all seeking god in the same way yeah
1: Mm -hmm. so yeah Yeah. had i not
0: had the experience of grasping and trying some things on and trying to, you know, maybe, yeah, the ego was wanting to build an identity and feel special and be better than other people. And, and, in that, but even in that, I'm so thankful that I had that experience. And also to your point, the person that pointed out to me was very out of integrity in the way that was done, by the way, yeah but there was still a teaching in it. It was like, Oh, look out, you know, don't believe your own hype basically. Right. Yeah. To, to, um, to retain some equanimity and some humility about your process. And I think sometimes that's what gets lost when we try these things on is we start believing our own hype and believing ourselves to be special, not special as yeah. in your beautiful uniqueness, but right. like I'm the guy now, right? The yeah, fallen yeah. guru syndrome.
2: Well, yeah. that's where you have to be careful, right? For I I always see it as an energy. Like when I did Kundalini yoga, part of part of your practice is you had to show up with a head wrap on. So I had to wrap my hair. I had to wear white. That's part, that's part of their tradition because of the energy and the, and the magnetism of that energy, right? So it was part, the clothing was just as important, important as the, to go with the experience. And then I remember like I would leave and I would always feel so uncomfortable. I felt like <laughs> yeah. such a fraud then. I'm walking around, and I got this headdress on. I'm like, totally. I got to get out of this, you know? Because it was just, it yeah. was, it, it reminded me of a, of a woman that we were both invited on a radio show. It was so funny. I just told this story the other day. And she, I met her the night before and was, you know, just dressed, you know, we we're dressed normal like this. And we go to the radio show the next morning and they're going to interview us and we're both going to give psychic readings. She showed up in true like psychic garb, you know, the full, the veil, the dress, the, you know, the gloves. I was like, I almost, I literally almost laughed in her face because it was a getup. It was a stage. And I got really offended because I try to bring so much integrity to just this capacity that we all have that when I see somebody going on stage in a certain way, I get, I have to like really like, I have to like pull my,
1: myself back. I love it. I specifically was walking down the street on La Iguana one day, and there was this place, and I know the best psychics oh ever, God. including Peggy. And this, there was a crystal ball, and I was like, "Yes, I'm going in. I want the crystal ball. Please don't disappoint no. me. I want you to look the part. I wanted the experience." And that's so true.
2: And that's so true. But you have to remember, I ha- I was very insecure at this point. I, this was we're probably. Like twenty two years ago. Yeah. But I but she came in full blown like garb. I show up, you know, like like I normally dress. And it was just this interesting thing of trying to find my voice and being comfortable in what works for me and yet at the same time accepting, because my immediate reaction was to laugh at her. And then it'd stop. And I and, and I asked her about it later. I said, Well, last night you were like this and today you're like this. And she's like Pretty much what you said. I like to give people a show. And I went, okay, that's what I was picking. I was picking up it was a show. And so it's the energy. I want a show. You want a show. I so want an experience. There's something for everybody, <laughs> right? But it's it's so interesting how it how it offends or affects or to really be generous and just have it be about the energy yeah. or about that person's process. But oh, man, that's <laughs> the one that catches me.
0: It
1: really does. I, of all the things I can judge people for, it's that. I'm such a visual person. I, I'm such a visual person that I really want visual experiences well the
2: 70s party girl you nailed it she was like
1: (laughs) you were all in by the way that was clothes i already had that was just accessory but it was great but yeah anyway i i don't know i i just i love going
2: well that's what i'm talking about the personality where sometimes you just give yourself permission to play and get to wear whatever you want and express that way is very freeing
1: can i can i say something funny though No, not at all. (laughs) The psychic was awful. She didn't know what she was talking about at all. So it was all show, which I still enjoyed my experience. No delivery. And James to this day still laughs about it because we were walking by and he, I was like, I have to have this experience. You know, he's like, you're literally Peggy. You you know, like you can go. I was like, it's not about having like the best psychic. It's about, I want... I, I, you know, I want the experience. I want somebody to look at a crystal ball. I want a crystal ball. I okay. want a big, huge, green crystal ball, FYI. Are crystal balls are green? Some of them are. Florida.: oh, Interesting. That's a colorful one. I'm, <laughs> I'm <a laughs> <laughs> anyway, I love your person that came back from India going full for it i think it's awesome
0: yeah i, I learned a lot you yeah. know through all the ins and outs and all the different things that i've gotten into the kundalini yoga i mm. mean how long did you do that Oh man, seven, eight years! Wow, yeah, in LA "Mm -hmm, with Tage.
2: You did it with Tage. Oh my gosh, she was our teacher at Harjewan. And yeah,
0: when she was at Golden Bridge, I was going for a (laughs) while. Oh my gosh! And and then, and then she. Of course, we all have
2: the same kundalini. Yeah,
0: and then she went off into a tent on a movie studio, and I lost her for a while. And then when she got the place on Sunset and Crescent Heights, I went back there and did teacher training and all that stuff. Yeah, but that you know that. It's funny, I kind of forget about that time in my life, but learning how to work with energy in those ways yeah. uh, was tremendously healing for me and really opened the door uh, to the incredible healing work I've done with plant medicines mm. you know because when I started working with that yoga, I mean I don't even think I knew you could use psychedelics intentionally because I never had (laughs) and I'm sober, right? Like it's just not on the menu. It's not something that is at least at that time was part of the lifestyle. You know, you're sober, you're sober, that's it. Um, but man, in those classes, especially in the long workshops, like those four hour, five hour workshops at night, I mean, dude, I would be having visuals. I would be spontaneously, sobbing and having all of these old memories come up through my body uh, laughing hysterically feeling so high yeah and I like to get high you know (laughs) yeah um with no side effects you know and I it really helped me but you know one really crazy thing that that um kundalini yoga did for me which was not intentional at all and it took me a while to unpack this but moved my energy up into my heart in such a profound way that, um, it prevented me from continuing to be love avoidant and having casual sex. Wow. You know, which is like how I rolled. I was never vulnerable or open to any sort of healthy or deep level of intimacy. Um, and it, you know, it worked for me. I have a lot of regrets around some of my behavior during that time, Mm -hmm. but, um, Hopefully I've atoned for <laughs> my mistakes. But doing that yoga had an unintentional and very profound effect on me that I stopped being able to compartmentalize physical intimacy. Mm. I just couldn't do it. It started to break my heart to withhold the love that I had. Mm, and so, wow, that's beautiful. You know, yeah, it was It was profound. And I didn't, when that started to happen, it was very confusing because I'm like, what did this, what's happening to me? (laughs) The old me, I can, I know how to roll. I know, I know how to keep, you know, the, the governor on Mm -hmm. my heart. Right. And, and hopefully on others as well with a stern and honest warning, like do not enter. This is only going this far, you know? Mm. kind of thing, really immature and embarrassing, uh, frankly, but it's it's where I was at the time. Yeah. But interestingly enough, I realized that the first time I met my wife, Allison,
2: mm. when
0: I was recording a podcast with her, we were chatting just like the three of us are chatting. And wow. I had the realization in that conversation that trying to keep my heart closed was breaking my heart. Hmm.
2: Mm. Wow. And you realize that on the podcast? Yeah. And that was. I the...
0: articulated that to her because wow. we were talking about oh. these things. Yeah. Wow. And she.
2: Oh, that had to slay her.
0: Maybe. i, <laughs> <just> <laughs> I have to ask her. Her
2: heart. Like, but yeah. what,
0: what did happen, and we didn't become a couple for some years after that for a number of different reasons, but she was so receptive to that vulnerability mm. and was so safe for that level of expression, um, that, that we had a real bond, you know, even though we lived in different cities and it it wasn't in the cards for us to be romantically involved right at that time. But it definitely left an impression on me because that was embarrassingly, that was probably the most intimate I had ever been with a woman. And it was like on a podcast in real time, just really Mm -hmm. sharing my truth that, wow, I've really put myself in a, in an intimacy prison out of my mm. fear of, of being hurt, my fear of being vulnerable, you know, because my prior experiences in life, um, had, um, had taught me that it wasn't safe to do mm. so because I wasn't around safe people, you know? So I just shut that down and yeah. And the Kundalini yoga, I mean, it's so beautiful. There was just, I couldn't be that way anymore. Oh,
2: the, the chanting yeah. Just the chanting and yeah. the oming just like yeah. reverberates through the body in such a way that you're right. You you can't hang on to anything. Yeah. It's so it's <laughs> and so. And I was powerful. so
0: committed too. I mean, yeah. I was going a few days a week and it's, you know, each class is ninety minutes and it's hours Same. and hours and hours for months and years Same. on end, you know. Same. So it's like I just would go there because I felt I just felt much better on the days when I went. I didn't have I didn't even have a more long term intention, like, oh, this is going to change my life or mm. help me to be more available to intimacy and love. None of that. Maybe, you know, have a bit more of a relationship with God. Sure. Yeah. But I, I wasn't going into it with the goal of changing myself in that way. I just know my energy feels much more fluid on the days that I go. But, you yeah. know, it was compounding over the course of those few years to the point where it's like, wow. I got myself into some really sticky, sticky situations um, romantically because the change had taken place in me way before I realized it had. Um. So the old modus operandi of just like yeah. being a playboy and being free and non-committal and all of that, um, it, it just stopped working in, wow. in a very pronounced way and was very painful for me and and the other people presumably that were involved. Um, it was it was harsh. It was mm. harsh. And then have and that brought up you know facing. Things that I was totally unaware of in terms of codependency and love avoidance, love addiction, sex addiction. I mean, I didn't even know. I didn't even know oh, anything yeah. about any of that. Wow. Nothing until I started to see how dysfunctional my life was. Yeah. And and how I was um, continuing to hurt myself and hurt other people. You know. But really, I owe it to that yoga and to Tage for opening opening up my my energy to be able to see that and to start to find some really drastic incongruence yeah right it's just like oh well this is not working (laughs) things started to not work in such a profound way that i couldn't ignore it you know and then had to go well what is happening here you know and and that's a lot of what was happening was just you know the heartbreak of withhold it's just really fundamentally not having the capacity to express my love Mm. yeah it's it's really sad i mean thankfully i have yeah. overcome that you know, yeah. by yeah. leaps and bounds. But looking back, it's like, oh my God, how sad. You have this like hurt little kid who gets into drugs and hurts himself more, mm. has this spiritual redemption and is sober and for years has no clue that that little wounded boy is still the one operating yeah. my life, right, unknowingly and that yoga and a number of other things started to uncover that that's oh wow <laughs> there's yeah. there's a sea of pain here in the depths of my shadow that has never even begun to be explored let alone healed you know
2: how did how did you make the leap from Kundalini yoga, which is absolutely no drugs, yeah. nothing but breath to get yeah. you high. I remember
0: Tage when to, people would oh. ask her about ayahuasca, she was like, Yogi Bhajan said no, no. No, you know.
2: No, she'll look across the the audience and go, you. Yeah. <laughs> well, what'd you do this weekend? I mean, yeah. she could just see it in the aura. For
0: sure. Wow. Yeah. You know what's funny is I was still very involved in her classes when I started to work with ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And she knew because I was very public about it and yeah. talked about it on my podcast and things like that and she never ever once gave me any grief about it.
2: Well, probably cuz she knew for you. Yeah. the value yeah. in it. Yeah. yeah, the value in it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I I feel like I really I needed that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I could have gotten unstuck without medicine. I I can't How did you
2: how did you find your way to it?
0: I really can't imagine like I don't know. I, I mean, because I, I did so many other things. I mean, EMDR, hypnosis, every kind of therapy, every 12-step group under the planet, reading every spiritual wow. book, going to India's, going to, you know, Eckhart Tolle lectures. I mean, just the work I put in on myself, psychologically and spiritually, and I'm not tooting my own horn. It's just out of my own pain, <laughs> really, that drove me to do that. But I don't know anyone that has been as committed as me just in my circle of friends. Like I'm just all in and still even with all of that, I was so dysfunctional in so many ways. So to your point, um, it was beautiful and it's, it's so stereotypical. The medicine called to me. It's like, sounds so corny, (laughs) but really what happened was because I, I have my podcast, the lifestylist for anyone that wants to check it out. I hope you do. Uh, I was interviewing all kinds of people from all walks of life. Um, and some of the people that started to enter into my field were, were medicine workers. And to me, this was like not even remotely on my radar, but I was interested in hearing other people's experience because they were in their own type of spiritual evolution. And that's what I like to talk to people about. But it was kind of like, oh, that's good for you. But like, there's no way I could ever do that yeah. because I'm sober. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. I don't care what kind of drugs there. If you're sober, mm-hmm. you don't take drugs. But anyway, what happened was I started meeting people um, on my podcast, and I met a couple people for whom plant medicines or psychedelics had been the vehicle by which they got sober. And they never went to a 12-step program. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were an addict, went and worked with ayahuasca or whatever it was, psilocybin, and then had a profound spiritual experience and became sober. And I was like, what? That goes against everything in the 12-step model, which is based on complete abstinence. And throughout recent recorded history, the 12 steps are are the most effective way uh, to get sober. And they've revolutionized. The 12 steps have revolutionized our culture. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. huge and beautiful and transformed my life. But there was never until I figured out an intersection, there was never an intersection that I was aware of Now, looking back, interestingly enough, because of what's happened for me in the past few years, I've had to reconcile the foundation of my character, which is really the principles that are codified in the 12 steps and the work I've done that has been so beneficial with medicine. And what I realized was, and I think what these people were experiencing was what is referred to in AA culture as a white light experience. And the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous was a man named Bill Wilson. And uh, it's a long story, but he was a hope to die drunk, a failed stockbroker from New York. And he checked himself into a hospital and they administered something called a Belladonna treatment, which was some pharmaceutical sedatives and a plant medicine derived from the plant Belladonna. Belladonna. Mm-hmm. And he had this psychedelic experience. Um, you know, to come through the DT safely. And then the history on it is a little vague, but I've, I've done quite a bit of research to try to get the timeline right. What appears to have happened, because I used to think that he had his, his famous white light experience that really birthed AA and is responsible ultimately for millions and millions of people recovering from all sorts of addictions. But it looks like what happened was he had this medicine experience with plant medicines. And then two days later he had this experience he describes in the book alcoholics anonymous as his white light experience and he described like a great wind blew through the room and everything turned white and he felt the presence of god and from that moment on Mm -hmm. he never drank again Mm -hmm. so the whole purpose of the 12 steps as a teaching are to elicit a spiritual experience a transcendent experience It just takes a very long time for most of us. I did have that experience. I'm still having that experience. But the transcendent experience for me didn't go far enough to heal those deeper parts of my subconscious, my psyche, my body, where I was holding all of my trauma and all those memories. So I started meeting people and putting it together that, oh, I think these people are having a transcendent spiritual white light type experience that's getting them sober just as bill Wilson did and they just found another way another door into the same mansion essentially right and so that was very curious to me and then I started getting invites to go sit with ayahuasca and I was like ah that sounds cool And there's like a part <laughs> of it's it like oh this could be the thing that I haven't tried that could maybe help me with some of this dysfunction that I'm really just stuck in mm-hmm. and um I was sitting on one of those invites and I was, I was kind of leaning into it, but I was scared because of the identity that I had around being a sober person. And if you go sit with ayahuasca and you're 22 years sober, what are you now? Are you still 22 years sober? Can you still go to meetings? How do you even talk about that? How do you contextualize that? What if on the off chance I go and have an experience, uh, under the influence of a drug and that makes me think that I can go do other drugs, the phenomenon of craving I talked about before, Mm. because that had always been my experience. I would quit doing heroin. I'd make it a few months, but then I would keep drinking. And if I drank and I got drunk, which I did every single time I drank, then if someone had some heroin, I'd do it. And next thing you know, I'm back on heroin. So I, you know, I was a, l- a little nervous about that. But anyway, I interviewed this guy, Paul Selig, who's a famous uh, channel. And I think he's an authentic channel. I'm sure some aren't. I believe he is. So during the interview, I had it in my notes. I'll never forget. We were in New York City. I was like, I hope he doesn't get pissed. This is kind of a little out there you know and i said i said paul because he talks to his guides and then sort of uh dictates what they tell him you know when he does his public talks and readings and things like that and i said you know i'm sitting on this idea uh of possibly working with ayahuasca would it be appropriate and if it's not you know i respect that would it be appropriate for you to ask your guides if it would be safe and beneficial for me to go use ayahuasca and he kind of thought about it and he went yeah, I think that's okay. So he asks, and the guides come back and speak through him and say that, uh, essentially it would be completely safe for me to do so. And that it could greatly benefit my life. And I would also be fine if I chose not to do it. And I was like, green light. I'm in, I booked it. I don't know why I trusted his guides and yeah, I trusted yeah, him. I was yeah. like, this is not my self will trying to like create an excuse to go do drugs or yeah. something. Right. And so, um, yeah, so the rest is really history. And and my intuition was so right, and Paul's guides were right. And you know, from the very first night that I worked with ayahuasca, my life has been transformed in the most beautiful of ways. And I have a completely uh, open and fluid and responsible relationship to all the different substances that are available yeah. in the world. And I just look at it now... As, um, I have different, a different density of boundaries in my relationship to different substances. Like I have a very firm boundary with alcohol. It's, we do not have a relationship, Mm. Opiates, heroin, not on the table, cocaine, crack, crystal meth, not on the table, not part of my experience. Yeah. Uh, Interestingly, and same for cannabis really too. Um, I've I've gotten high on cannabis a couple of times um, accidentally in the past few years. And I absolutely hated it, which is so funny because that was my number one drug of choice. And that was the hardest one for me to let go of. When Mm. I was in rehab, they made me, you had to write a letter to your, a goodbye letter to your drug of choice. And I was sobbing, sobbing to have to let go of weed because I smoked it. 24 well, 7 I can I feel the kid. safety
2: it created for you in your body. Yeah. Like your whole body is just like, warm, as you talk about fuzzy, just warm, oh, deep just relaxation. Like
0: an envelope of safety. Yeah. And then the last wow. couple of times where I just ate a CBD gummy and <laughs> just, I just fucked up, you know, and accidentally got high one day in particular. And now I understand. I never understood when people say, Oh, weed makes me paranoid. I'm like, what? It makes me creative and daydream and love music. <laughs> and I was so paranoid. It, my heart was racing. It was a horrible experience. But anyway, um, what happened with the ayahuasca, aside from all the healing, is more than anything, I just was gifted a deep level of trust in myself. Mm-hmm. And I know what my parameters of safety are. And I know when I'm deluding myself and not. And so I'm able to so far, so good, knock on wood. Wow. Um, you know, work with psychedelics and plant medicines and microdose. I took some LSD this morning. I feel great, you know. I'm not going to go home and drink a bottle of wine because I had some LSD this morning. You know, it's just...
1: Wait, wait, what? Wait, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you took some LSD this morning. A
0: very small amount. Okay, is it like yeah. a microdose of LSD yeah, this morning? Yeah, yeah, We'd okay. be so having a much different conversation. What, yeah. I actually, I've never... Since I've been sober, I've never taken uh, like a clinical dose of LSD, but I, yeah. I microdose with it every couple weeks or so. I'm
2: not as familiar with LSD. Can you share your, a little bit for other people out there like myself who don't have a lot of knowledge about LSD?
0: Yeah. Well, with all psychedelics, as much as I'm intrigued by them, at mm-hmm. this point in my life, there's an equal measure of terror. Like I'm afraid of psychedelics and I'm really grateful for that because I know the depth that you can reach and the things that can come up and the energies and dimensions present in those experiences. And I I don't take them at all lightly. I mean, I'm kind of just Mm -hmm. being flippant about using LSD. Um, But I have a very healthy respect, if not a fear for all medicine, psychedelics and so on. Um, So lsd is probably the one that i'm most afraid of and i've never taken it in sobriety with any kind of you know Mm. like an intentional journey or for healing or therapy or anything like that so i don't really know what it's like to have a full send experience on lsd because i haven't done so since you know i started using lsd when i was 16 and did it until i was 26 and it was you know mostly going to dead shows and just acting a Mm. fool
2: Does, I mean, like with a microdose, does it just make you more creative, more relaxed? Like what's the effect? Well, LSD
0: microdose, which would be five to 10 micrograms, a hundred micrograms would be one hit of acid. So you're taking one fifth or one tenth of a hit. So a true microdose for me, at least with LSD would be um, not discernible right? Where you're still driving a car, you could still sit down and it. do emails and do whatever. You could go to court on a microdose of LSD and act normal. Uh, but one thing it does is it floods your brain with dopamine. And so it's really great for focus, but it also uh, improves hemispheric synchronization. So mm-hmm. while it allows you focus, it also gives you access to creativity Whereas many things you do that are drivers of dopamine um, shut down your creativity and give you great focus, different nootropics and smart drugs and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I like LSD for uh, situations in which I'm going to be talking and relating to people because I can think creatively, but I have enough focus to have the verbal acuity to communicate my thoughts and articulate my feelings. So it's interesting. It's very yeah. different than microdosing psilocybin Yeah. because it's a little, it's a little, oh, I don't know if harsh is the right word. It's just, uh, it's a little sharper. Well,
2: the way you're describing it, sharper. sounds like psilocybin, it sounds like it's a little more heady and this feels a little bit more uh, flowy in the body and in the mind. Like yeah. There's more space or yeah. as I feel into it, that's how it feels. Yeah. I don't know if that's right, but. Yeah.
0: And you know, it's like I said, it's,
2: but look at your smile. It's working.
0: (laughs) I forget about it. You know, I have it in the, I I have a bottle of it in another country outside of the United States. Um, I have a bottle that a friend gave me probably five years ago. And it's just a little, you know, tincture dropper bottle. And it's it's still the same bottle because it's such a tiny, tiny amount, you know, but I, I, I am mindful. I have this, you know, again, knock on wood. I hope this never happens, but I have so many tinctures and herbs and stuff that I use all the time. I've, I've always been scared. I'm just not going to be paying attention one day and take a whole dropper full, uh, you know, which would be like 10 hits of acid or something. So I'm always like, when I go to that drawer, it's like handling a firearm. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. very, it's labeled very clearly. Yeah. And I, you know, I take Twice. it and I'm like, pay attention, Luke, one or two drops because I'm, I'm not trying to have an accidental journey.
1: You are very, because I went to your house and you took such incredible care of me. I was feeling so sick mm-hmm. and I went to Luke's house and he sits down at the table and he's got this array of medicine for me, um, from Sheila Jeet to methylene blue. And, um, you even gave me uh, glutathione in the form of, um,
0: suppository suppository which to be clear you did not use in, in, in our presence <laughs> he
1: did not teach me how to do the suppository yeah, but figure that one out <laughs> <in your mouth. laughs> yes yes but um he sat with me and was very specific about dosages and intentions mm. and how each thing worked and exactly how to use it and i am just so grateful for that and i see that you have that same tender loving care for yourself which is really, really beautiful. And then I sat, Luke has this room filled with, I want to call them magic machines. And when you get into understanding magic, it's very technical and scientific, really. Um, Like the biocharger. And I sat next to that biocharger and I took the things and I came home and I took the things and I felt like a new human and I felt so cared for. It's like I went in and I just got all this love and all this care and then Allison came in with the, the yin energy of all the, you know, cleansing smokes and incense Aww. and prayer, and it was just thank you. That yeah. honestly, oh, I needed nice. that so badly.
0: I love when it. I
1: came to you so badly.
0: I love doing um, that stuff. In uh, in one journey, it and I never started using this as like a title, but I think it was probably in in the first uh, ayahuasca retreat. You know, as I always feel funny saying the medicine told me, I don't know if it's the medicine told me God, my inner self, whatever it was, but the message was delivered to me, Luke, you are a healer.
2: Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm.
0: That's what you are. And I was like, nah, that sounds like I'm not like a body work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. Like I have this picture what, of what that is, but what it communicated to me was, is beautiful. Actually, it wasn't that, I don't know how to, how to articulate it. It's like, it's not that I'm a healer of other people. It's that I'm a healer period. I'm one who heals like that's what I'm about is healing my which is inclusive of myself mm-hmm. and other people and I was like oh okay I can I can wear that you know yeah I just I didn't feel like qualified to be like a hands-on healer or body worker or Reiki practitioner or whatever I just it's never been my lane but it was a it was a beautiful realization and and it brought another great realization which is part of a, a book that I'm working on now um, it's kind of infused with this message but many years ago and I forget who exactly it was um, someone said to me we were just talking about you know trauma and the downstream effects of that and they said well Luke hurt people hurt people you know it's like people that have unresolved hurt it's like they're just festering and all they can do essentially is hurt other people until that gets healed. And I was like, oh God, that's so true because the hurt people that have hurt me were hurt. And when I've been hurt, I've hurt other people. It's It really is an axiom that that holds weight um, and it's true. But when I had that realization that I'm a healer, just in a general sense, just someone who heals, myself and others included, I realized that healed people heal people, mm. right? It's just being in the presence of someone who has healed, is healing, is healing on the field, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so, doing things like what we did when you came over, I love that, and I love it especially when someone's sensitive. Because mm, yeah. some people, especially like a lot of men, I'll bring them in. Hey, sit in front of the biocharger. What's this thing? What's this dude? I'm like, ah, dude, you don't get it. You yeah. bring like Allisons in front of it. You sit in front of me. You're like, whoa, whoa. You know, you start kind <laughs> of like shaking like and
1: visceral,
0: tripping out. And I'm like, yes.
1: It. It you can... Peggy. Oh my gosh, you've got to go over there. I'm inviting Anytime. Peggy, okay? Anytime. <laughs> this machine yeah. is wild. You sit in front and it, like, it it sends like uh spirals through your system. Oh, interesting. And each time it'll feel like a like a little tick and like smooth it out. It just, uh, it's it's frequency
0: medicine, yes, you know, yeah. it's like Nikola Working Tesla, Tesla's nervous Tesla coil. system, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's kind of that particular one is essentially a amalgam of a Tesla coil, Nikola Mm -hmm. Tesla, not like Elon Musk Tesla, the OG Tesla, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Rife frequencies. You might've worked with a Rife machine before. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. So it's essentially, you know, as we know, everything in the universe is frequency, right? And everything has a frequency signature. So what that device does, it allows you to program different frequency sets. Yeah. So, different, um, numerical frequencies, the durations and the power output of those frequencies. And it delivers those frequencies through every cell in your body just by merely sitting in front of it. So yeah, it's pretty profound. I mean, out of all the wacky stuff that I have and all the different technologies I've owned, I think that's the one that has probably stood the test of time. And I I would be hard pressed if, if I had to get rid of that, I would miss it.
2: Have you heard of the shift wave machine, the shift? machine. I have it's heard of that. It's being studied at, um, at the university here. Anyway, we just bought one. Oh, cool. Taking delivery on it like in a week or so. Nice. But it looks like a lawn chair. Uh, and you yeah. lay down in it and it has all these like, you know, little... I don't know what the oh, word Oh, I have it, used that. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and um, it has a knob or a dial, yep. all these different frequencies. Yeah. And you put on blindfold and headsets, and it starts to talk to you, right? So it yeah. took, I, w- I did the wave one. It was like a 15-minute yeah. thing. And basically, it just started talking to me. And then immediately, it took me to uh, my fear, right? So what it does is it brings fear up in your body. So your nervous system is like... <gasps> Right, So Mm. all of a sudden I saw myself in water surrounded by sharks and my whole body went tight and then immediately released me from it and like sunshine and my body just dropped. It was like a suspended in time. And it's just, it it recalibrates your central nervous system and it's designed for post-traumatic stress. The, The man who sold it to us works with a lot of vets. And we just wanted to have it because we do a lot of breath work and support people in being able to have this, you know, this opportunity to use to recalibrate the nervous system because I've had to really, through the years, really had to work on mine just to be around people because I would just... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like a walking antenna, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: So I'm 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 excited to try the machine. I'm so stoked you guys. Yeah. So when we get it, we'll let you know. Uh, I love it. Yeah, Allison and and I did some journeys.
0: uh, We did some journeys on that uh, in Florida at uh, Dr. John Lawrence's clinic. Yeah, I was like, I know that name from somewhere. Yeah, it has all these transducers in it. Yeah, this Mm -hmm. this guy who is also
2: in Florida, Dr. Walt Walt Disney. Walter really? Disney—it's his real name. Wow. Yes. wow! Yeah, and so he he has a clinic there and works with a lot of post-traumatic stress guys and Beautiful. Um, yeah. And so we we got the machine from him. So I'm excited. Oh, to, that's amazing! Yeah, but Th- they just show there's so many things out there. Right, right we're in such an
0: exciting time yes. right now in terms of, especially and specifically in frequency medicine. Yeah, there's so much there, and um, it's a it's it's a bit of a stretch for some analytical linear thinking people, mm-hmm. you know, to get in front of the biocharger and like, oh, what's this thing doing? Make all these crazy lights and stuff. And it's it's hard to grasp, but what everyone grasps is is when you walk in a room and you get a good feeling or a less than good feeling from the people in there. Yeah. Everything is frequency, right? And so there are some genius people that are kind of marrying the spirit world with the technological world and not in terms of like brain implants and Neuralink, that's not what I'm talking about and not not something of which I'm a fan, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's going back to the source code of the frequencies of the universe and using Mm -hmm. technology to help our bodies become, um, more aligned to those frequencies. It's it's powerful. Reclaim ourselves basically it's
2: because that's what I think is happening. you you regain, we regain control of our own sensitivity and our ability to manage ourselves around anything. Um, You know, when you see kids who are really sensitive and a noise and they jump to, I mean, that's just me. It's like,
1: I'm, so, <laughs> yeah. that is you. I am sensitive too. You're definitely sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> Kim's been around me and watch me like jump a foot off <laughs> well,
0: the ground. That's funny you mention that because like, Allison's like that too. Is she too? She's very jumpy. Yeah. Oh my like God. Like a, a dog will bark or someone honks their horn or something. And I, and, I, and she'll go, <gasps> and, and then I go, what, is there something wrong with me? I'm just sitting here. I didn't oh even God. flinch, you know? You but should
1: hear I, James I, stub his toe. It, he has oh. the loudest toe reactions <laughs> to like hitting his knee hitting it is the loudest most alarming thing yeah. ever he's,
0: oh my he's gosh. getting it out of his body it's, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah releasing it releasing but yeah, it. yeah you know with the frequency stuff going back to the kundalini yoga it's like why does chanting certain words in a certain language change the way you feel like how do you even explain that it's yeah. it's frequency right
2: it, it completely is you know i I don't know if I just recently told this story on our podcast about, um, I had my brain read oh, at yeah, the Maharashi yeah. university and the Kundalini yoga within three years or four years of doing that. My brain completely changed. It was so fascinating because he had shown how I was very much right brained and it was dangerous because it was close to like Paranoid schizophrenia is like, here's this line and here's you. I don't recommend that. <laughs> You're you,
0: really creative,
2: yeah, like a little, a little, too, little too much, creative. Like, yeah, you need to balance that brain. But after doing that and then going back, it really, I think it was seven years in between the brain scans and he could not believe the difference in my brain scans. So there's something to the chanting, the oming, the, yeah. all of that process of being able to balance the brain. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of kind drops.
1: K-drops, yeah. K-drops, drop. K yeah. you know, yeah. plant plant medicine too. Yeah. So those yeah. two really helping to rewire. I believe that's yeah. also some of the beauty of like earthy music and rhythm, you know, like yeah. just when you go into uh, indigenous cultures that haven't been stimulated by, you know, all the technology and it's it's about a rhythm and a mm. beat. and.
0: Oh my God. Hey, there's the wife right there. Uh-huh. Speaking of rhythm and frequency and changes, so I'm, I'm sure you heard some of the story. Uh, Allison had an event with um, uh, this group of the Dogon. Dogon. Uh,
1: Dogon, um, Dogon. Dogon. Oh, shoot. Dogon. It wrong. The Dogon. The Dogon.
0: The Dogon. Dogon. <laughs> the Dogon. The Dogon tribe, Master Naba. And anyway, so she had an event wow. nearby here the other day, and, and Kim uh, joined us. And when Naba. I was feeling totally normal, really lovely group of people, very grounded. I, I really enjoyed like the energy of the room. It was in a, a beautiful space. Um, Callan Payton's uh, house, kind of their clubhouse, <laughs> I guess right now. It's epic. Yeah, yes. you've been there. Yeah, yes, it's, I've been it's there. Ama- So, you know, amazing space, amazing group of people, just yeah. all the smells and sights, just very vibey. But I was totally sober. And we go through a number of different... Um, ceremonies and rituals and things like that uh, according to their their tradition and so there's all this cleansings and different things happening anyway and then drinking some herbal teas not psychoactive but just different african herbal concoctions and things like that so i drink one of these teas pretty strong but not psychoactive in any way nava starts playing his drum and i'm sitting there i'm like oh this is nice yeah he's a good drummer you know great rhythm whatever <laughs> i'm just not yeah i'm just open and receptive i have no expectations but I just started feeling into that drum and just mm. like, huh, what if I could get out of my head? Cause I'm a musician. So I'm thinking about, Ooh, that beat and like I'm starting to pick it apart and kind of analyze what he's doing with what hand and how and the sounds and all that, I'm like get out of your head, just be in your body. And so I started feeling his drum with my body and similar to some of the things that would happen to me uh, at times in, in Kundalini yoga. And have happened many times since in plant medicine, this energy started moving in my body and, I couldn't stop it if I tried, and I wasn't doing it when it first started happening. It's kind of just like my hips are sort of gyrating, and my chest it was is moving kind of you. yeah, the, my wow. chest is kind of heaving. I'm like, oh shit, I've I know what this is, you know. And I was like, wait, is, am I doing this? So I tried to stop it, and I literally couldn't stop it. I mean, I would have to exert all of my energy and walk out of the room to make it stop. And it went on for, I mean, I'm gonna say ninety minutes to two hours, and I just surrendered yeah. to it and you know, I had the, I had to work with the part of myself that was aware that there were other people in the room and that I might look weird and maybe people are judging me or thinking I'm like putting it on or, you know what I mean? That yes. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then that would take me out of the game for saying No, no, no. Who gives a fuck? Come back. Like have this experience. Boom. And then I just finally surrendered to it and no plant medicines, no psychedelics, nothing, just a drum. And I don't know what it meant. I don't know what it was. When I explained it to him, he was like, well, I activated my drum. I charged it in the sun. Of course that happened. He was just like, duh. That's a given, you know, to him. Hmm. It was just, it wasn't even a talking point. I was kind of like, yo, let's talk about the thing. And he was like, yeah, so what? It's like, that's what happens. What do you think is going to happen? It's like, you turn
2: on a car and it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, you know,
0: these drums and his people have been playing those drums for God knows how long, you know, so there's a real spirit and a real power Mm. in that. But yeah, it reminded me of how potent frequency can be, you know. And
2: what, how, what a beautiful experience. It was
0: amazing. And all I had to do was be receptive, you know. And there were yeah. points uh, at which I started just spontaneously crying, just, <gasps> just having these big emotional outbursts, wow. but with no content. Yeah. It wasn't like I'm thinking about this or that and mm-hmm. having an emotional reaction to it, no content at all. It was all context. <laughs> It was the context of the field that was being wow. invoked by that drumming, mm. and my receptivity to it. And I don't know what it did to me or for me or what, but I know it was good.
2: Well, it sounds like it recalibrated you. It sounds I, amazing. I
0: was I was yeah. super high, you That's know, the rest amazing. of the day. Yeah, I, Allison had to drive home. I was not wow in a place to drive. I was I was really in a great space, you know.
2: That's a long time, sixty to it ninety crazy, minutes yeah. to have that. I mean you you know it's crazy you can see that sometimes where it happens for, you know, a couple of minutes, but
1: sixty to nine that's insane. Well yeah. he had just that's been full really, really blunt. purified. We had done all kinds of meditations with like nuts and eggs. Mm. And we had gone out and we had done cleansing with particular flowers and mm. herbs wow. and like super super clean, super, super purified, like, you know, ancient aura cleansing rituals and yeah. everything. Wow. And then you may be in tension to connect
0: yeah it's amazing it it was cool wow it is is funny though when you're i mean if you're with a group of people in say a medicine ceremony it's kind of anything goes and i mean people can do all kind of wild shit and it doesn't phase anyone because you're there for it and you know that there's some Mm -hmm. magic taking place but that one was a it was a little funny it did take me a minute just to be in surrender to it because I I didn't want to look around and take myself out of it. So I didn't know if it was happening to anyone else or like the whole room was looking over at me, like, what is wrong with this dude? You know? So it it was funny. It was a little bit of a dance, you know, there to just go, okay, this is, I am meant to have this and I'm just going to. Well,
2: it's kind of cool to know that you still go through that, that you who have experienced so much Still can kind of go, ah, is anybody watching me or not? Like, you know. Yeah. Well, afterward,
0: I did ask Allison, you know, my ego couldn't resist. I was like, dude, did I look like a total freak? And she goes, no, it was beautiful. You needed to give people, it was a beautiful permission for Mm. people to have whatever experience they were meant to have and to let them know that that's even possible.
1: Yeah. I didn't even notice.
0: Oh, and that's a funny thing. You, Kim, were having some trip go on within you and you were working with Allison. yeah and right when i was in the heat of that and you were and i opened my eyes for a second saw you were doing some some of your healing kind of work with her like the magic that you do and then you were like put your hand on her back and you had me hold my hand on her back and i don't know if you noticed but i was like in the full throes of that thing so i did see you moving so the three of us were kind of in a little zone with that Uh, that frequency for a moment too
1: that was a super deep thing where what that was that was a very guided thing like where i had just spoken to naba about something and then i came to allison with something it it was just whoa 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 (laughs) whoa but yeah my guidance was you your energy being being involved so i before we wrap up actually i think um this would be fun for you because in the past, when you've had questions about something like ayahuasca, I think you were on a podcast and asked if it was okay um, for you. We have an Ask Peggy segment. So if you're interested in this channel right now and you have some striking question or just want some general information, it's all yours.
0: Oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I like that format. It's a nice surprise.
2: So I always say the more specific a question, the more specific the answer so it's just kind of like, it's a Google search. You give me one word, I'm gonna give you a, a bunch of gibberish. <laughs> but if you give me a specific question, I can give you a specific answer.
0: Cool. That's, Your guides, not my guide. Yeah, that's, that's easy because uh, everything in my life, experience, my body, emotions, mind, work, relationship, everything's great. <laughs> Except I have, um, a really, and I shared this with you, um, when we were spending some time recently and you did a little work on this, so it's not going to be a new piece of uh, Mm -hmm. data for you, but I, for, uh, whatever reason, um, and there's many reasons that could be at the root of this, uh, I have a tremendously loud ringing in my ears. I don't even like to use the clinical term for it because I don't even want to take on that identity, but there's a very consistent, very loud high pitch ringing in my ears that is um, that's very disruptive to my life. And it's quite challenging. And so I'm in a dance of, um, you know, finding the balance between surrendering to what is and remaining grateful for all of the parts of my life and my body that aren't bothering me and are working perfectly and, in the curiosity of a solution, you know? And so, um, I don't know, maybe the question is, you know, where in my body would I be best served to spend most of my energy? Mm. And I ask that because I tend to spend a lot of energy up in the crown and I'm all about just being far out and expansive and exploring consciousness. And sometimes I think that I'm, um, maybe out of balance in terms of how much is happening up here versus being grounded in my body. Yeah,
2: You feel a little bit, that's what I was going to say before you said that I was going to say that you feel a little bit like you're, um, not exactly grounded, like you're caught between two dimensions and, and whether any of that has to do with a past life trauma that has to do with the, you know, explosions or something that has to do with a past life that you could be clearing. Um, but also, um, Spending more time being like reversing it instead of being, you know, like upside down uh, diamond being, bringing it like this, right? Being more grounded, bring all that energy down through a point instead of being wide open because the wide open frequency is like, it's just like this, like you're on all the time instead of closing and turning upside down where you're more rooted down here. I think that's, that's going to help. And then also, it is it is your work to know frequency. It is your work to create stability in the mind-body. Kim said it perfectly when you came on. She said, well, you know, this is what you do. You explore, you get the answers, you heal, and then you help others, you lead them to it. So this is such a big thing for so many people in the world. So many people have this. I'm not going to say the word because we're not going to label you. <laughs> so many people have it, my brother included. And be able to dial down the frequency, understand that frequency is something I feel like is part of the puzzle that you're being asked to create with, ask, you know, in, in connect with it. I can really feel it behind this left eye here and, um, and really connect with it in, in, in a safe way, like, like going into it, get to know it. What, what do you need? Uh, what 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 feeling wants to come in? Where Where am I at? Because I can also feel it go down your back. So we talk about across the shoulders and down your back this tension as we talk mm, about it. Oh. Can you feel all yeah, that? Yeah, I just saw yeah, it. yeah, behind the eye and yeah, so it's like it's like you' it's like you're it's like it's almost like a it's a point inside of you. and I really feel it behind this eye. Um, but I think it's yours to play with and to peel back and to isolate and to understand. And then through that understanding, it's going to release and you'll be able to go, Hey, <laughs> this is what you need to do. So I feel like that's part of your party that you're being asked to take one for the team. <laughs> yeah. Bring it, bring it in. I mean, does that resonate with you? Yeah. Have you does. thought of that before? Uh,
0: yeah. More or less. Yeah. More or less. I mean, one thing I have, and this is a, this is a stretch, but it's, an aspirational stretch, Uh my favorite place in time and space is silence. Like just no sound. Mm. Um, That's where I find solace. And now uh, I don't have that experience ever, you know? And um, so there's a bit of a grieving around that. But there's also an invitation. As I said, it's a stretch. I mean, it's hard to get to where this could be a gift, right? Mm -hmm. But underneath all sounds, like those bugs that we hear outside, they're ringing in my ear, underneath all sound is silence, right? Because there could be no sound if there wasn't a silence from which it emerges. Mm -hmm. So what I've been toying with a little bit is can I find the silence underneath this this ringing?
2: I think that I think you're onto something with that because you notice when you did that, your energy dropped. Mm. And I think the more that you can work from the ground up and and ask those questions, because, you know that's going to help to change the frequency. That will bring you that peace, and you'll get underneath that. Because I just feel like you're like vibrationally, like you're caught in between these two realms, mm-hmm. and um, and it's it's a little bit like I can't do it for you. You have to do it yourself.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's 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 one of those things. It's in deep a, work. It's man. an inside out yeah. job.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But when I ask why is it happening for you, it's happening for you to get you to wake up to your own power, your own capacity, your ability to uh, generate and create safety, silence, compassion, and um, and understand that level of depth without the mind. And so it's like those two that are crossing, yeah, that are yeah.
1: creating the problem. Yeah. That can makes I, sense. Can I share something that yeah, has, has been on my mind almost the whole podcast? Yeah. When you said you went to silent retreat you use the words it allowed the noise in my head to come to the surface and the noise is at the surface to like where you can hear it so I would be curious if you and maybe you have just really listened really deeply to what it had to tell you one two if I'm just to take a snapshot of the stories and the tapestry of your life so far, there's this rhythm, it's a pattern of going through things you have no control over, surrendering to divine intervention and having like this quick move through, like over and over and over from abuse to like, to, to alcohol, to drugs, to like, you know, it just, it, it's been like a, a thing and it's been effective for you to go into like the one, one thing about you that, that I know about you, if I had to describe you in one word right now, I would say sincere. You're the, such a sincere person. So prayer and sincerity or earnest prayer gets a response, you know, and, and, uh, you have a level of listening, you know, so it's just like, I don't know if you are, or you aren't, but just listening to the noise that has surfaced in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And good. maybe that's how you're going to help us <laughs> <laughs> all learn when you figure out that. Yeah, Let us know yeah, on the next yeah. Yeah, go, go into it, go into that and listen, yeah. see what it has to say.
0: Well, it's interesting, in you know, because where there is peace with the noise is in the realm of pure awareness. Where the noise causes anxiety is in the mind, right? Like pure awareness is experiencing the silence underneath that noise. Yeah but the mind is used to silence being experienced in a different way (laughs) where there's no, there's no noise. Right. So So that's, that's like that, that um, tug of war between like the knowingness that I'm safe and the mind going like, what if this doesn't stop? You can't live like this. Yeah. You got to get the fuck out of here. If this is your life now, I mean, those are the kind of thoughts. If I let it run, not like I'm going to hurt myself, but it's kind of like, well, how many more years no. am I going to be here? You know, I'm, but, <laughs> if this is what it looks like, but that's the mind. That's
2: what you have to make peace with. I mean, I, I looked in the mirror. I was telling Kim the story and I would used to look in the mirror and go, who am I? Get me. I was like young, like 13 years old, 12, 13, 14 mm-hmm. years old. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Well, whose body is this? Like, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And, and I would go, oh my mm-hmm. God, you got to shut up. You're going you're gonna to go crazy. You can't talk this way to yourself. And I had to really like get myself together. I mean, I sound like a crazy person, but when you're 13 years old, 14 years old. Oh, I relate old, 100%. <laughs> I mean, right? And so then I focused on something else. Mm. I focused on the color of my eyes. And so I started to say, oh, my eyes are green. My eyes are green. So I gave myself something else to focus on. So maybe there's something else yeah. you can focus on that will mitigate that mm. noise. Give your mind something else to focus on so it can turn down that totally that noise yeah yeah that's that's, and create in a different way
0: that's great yeah because the thing is with this particular challenge is um anxiety makes it worse
1: yeah i can i could i can (laughs) feel that just tells you it's it's a real it's a real
0: teacher in that way right because it's like what it does is causes anxiety and and those thoughts of like, what if this is my life now? What if this Mm -hmm. never goes away? How can I deal with this? Right. But, and that anxiety is the thing that perpetuates the volume and intensity of it and the surrendering to it and going into deep presence and awareness is what makes it less bothersome, you know? So it's, it's, it's a huge teacher. Are you using
2: microdosing with it?
0: Um, Mm.
2: Because I'm just thinking, like, oh, like that's the, a great idea. Yeah, like the microdosing of like we use K drops, kind of drops, yeah. and um, because it just drops you right into the heart, drops the anxiety, mm. and releases it immediately. There's a neuro shift, right? Yeah, and yeah. And so it's good that idea. might be something yeah. you can just buy them online. With the, an intention. Yeah. 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 I think Allison has. Does some. she? Allison yeah. loves
0: the Kana. You know, so <laughs> yeah. There's always some around the house. There is some around. Yeah. So, try, yeah.
2: so that might be something that you could work with yeah, too. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I have, like I said before, I have uh, such a healthy respect for deep medicine experiences that I'm never planning on it. You know what I'm saying? It's like <laughs> yeah. an opportunity comes, I get a text. I'd say 90% of the time it's a pass. You know, it's yeah. just like, well, it's not the time. When it's a yes, it's a very clear yes. Yeah. Thankfully, none have come in lately because I'm I'm feeling a bit like reserved in that realm. Yeah. But I have had the thought around the, the ringing in terms of like getting into the body and medicine. Um, I've healed some things in the medicine space that I don't know how else I would have gotten to. So I have had the thought, you know, maybe there's, a five meo situation or something like that. that Maybe would,
2: that's the calling <laughs> that would
0: allow. Yeah, that would allow me to go into the deep, deep, deep space and do some quantum sort of surgery on myself and and find some relief there.
2: Yeah, well, let us know. Yeah, you'll yeah. have to come back and tell us. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I I had one specific situation in which I I was doing uh, it was with ayahuasca and I was absolutely. My consciousness was inside my brain. We re- rewiring synapses, and I knew this is going to sound crazy to anyone that hasn't had this kind of experience. But it's just it's just what was happening, and I know that it's what's happening because my brain was different after that. I was I was changing neural pathways around certain flavors of re- abuse that I had endured as a kid and how they were coloring my personality and my responses in life mm-hmm. now, like specifically yeah. around being uh, really afraid of confrontation and being afraid of people when they're volatile, you know? And so I was, <laughs> I know we're wrapping up, but I had got myself into a relationship, um, that mirrored that dynamic, that I had experienced as a kid as we do and so mm. I started to see that and unravel that and I remember thinking well right now I'm really small you know my consciousness mm. is portable mm. in that space and I was invited to actually go into my physical brain and to go in there and just tease things apart and rewire and and repair it and I did and it and it worked wow and then I didn't need to call that lesson in anymore I you know, I'm in a relationship with someone who I mean, she's got her fiery side, but um, it's it's expressed with compassion yeah. <laughs> and so consciousness, beautiful. you know. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think there might be you know, there might be something there and I'm not rushing into that, but it's yeah. kind of like my if all else fails, there's yeah. always that space. Right. Yeah. Where miracles can can and do happen, but they also happen in this waking state here. So I'm going to work with that. Thank you both. Yeah, yeah. you're
1: welcome. Yeah, Thank you Thanks for, for the coming question. on. Yeah. So fun. Yeah, this was awesome. I love how best. much time we've gotten to go deep with this week.
0: Yeah, I yeah. know. I feel like you and I especially know each other so much more than we did just a couple weeks ago. I'm
2: looking forward to yeah. tuning in and hearing about it. Yeah. It was so
0: fun sitting down with Kim because yeah. we've we've shared like some really deep and close moments. Like ever since we met. I think we've had a really easy vibe. Like we just yeah. connect. We've had yeah. some really deep talks about deep topics. She's you know, expressed her gifts and helped me with things and in, in different situations. And, um, but we've never kind of had the small talk, you know what I'm saying? It's like just always super deep, supernatural kind of mystical experiences <laughs> yeah. and not really like, so where are you from? Do you have brothers and sisters? Like, how did <laughs> yeah, you arrive basics, here? Yeah. yeah. So I really got to, to know Kim the other day uh, and just, you know, a little bit awesome. about her, her life, her and, gang life. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, well, her break Apparently dancing.
1: he didn't like breakers.
0: I was of a different clan when I was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was what we call, what I call now a Hesher, you know, like a little long haired heavy metal kid. <laughs> she was doing the break dancing. Those
1: were my cousins. I love my cousins. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I'm a
0: ride or die Hesher <laughs> uh, Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been fun.
1: Thank you. Guys. Yeah. Thanks
2: for coming.
0: It was yeah, so good for to sure. see you. <laughs>